0: Welcome to the Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Young Turks, Slate, Rachel Maddow, Tom Hartman, and NPR.
1: That's encouraging. That's the first poll anybody could see like that. So all I'm saying, and I'm not saying that... that, what I, I'm trying to remove reality from political talking points, as you said, Cenk, as you admit, it's a terrible. It's been a terribly effective talking point, an extremely effective talking point. It's because it's 30 years old. It goes back to you know, there's an article in Slate today. It goes back to Vietnam that we turned the entire party into no war, no war, no war. Not let's confront the dangers of the world in a smarter manner. Um, and it has simply stuck that we are the anti-war, peacenik, long-hair, hippie party. Um, it's not true. It's unquestionably not true. And that poll is incredibly encouraging. And, and I'm not saying it is going to work. But I am saying that it is, you know, I'm letting anybody know who wants to know that I at least am worried that it will still work. As you said, it's been it's been incredibly effective. I would love to see three straight polls that showed us uh, better than them on protecting us from threats.
2: All right. I would like to be the first to say I have not heard anybody else to say and and I'm a talk show, so I get to take credit for it. Okay, Uh, I think that for the first time what you're witnessing now in America is the Democrats going from the anti-war party that image true or untrue for that image to the uh, to, and mindlessly anti-war to the republicans going to the mindlessly Pro-war party.
1: Well, that, that's that's obviously a factor which nobody really considered. It was never that the Republicans were considered the party of war. It was that the Democrats were the party of will not go to war, even though that has proven to be can't untrue we? also. So that's very significant. That's an interesting way to put it. That 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 it would not just be that the Democrats can't be trusted, but it would be the Republicans can't be trusted because they'll blow up anything.
3: Right. I mean, so I mean for you know 2006 and 2008. Can't we try and redefine ourselves as? The party of defense, you know, countered with the party that's pro-war. I mean, I think they're two totally different things. And I think Americans would gravitate more toward, you know, the idea of defense and defending the country rather than yeah. being aggressive and being pro-war. I, I agree with
1: you, Joe. And, and,
3: and I'm not trying to – I'm going to try and
1: do this without being condescending. The problem is is that, is that if, first of all, that we should try. That's 100 percent correct. And they will try. They are trying. But it is not a sort of brief little small point that was made. It is ingrained in a lot of people. That's why they go to it, and it has worked. We're going to change it because if we don't change it, we're going to continue to lose five out of every six presidential elections. Uh, so it must change, and it simply will change. The question is: Is it ready to change right now? And I, I think the idea that the Republicans are the are the blow everything up party is a nice one.
2: Yeah, and and look, and it's true. It has the benefit of yeah, being true,
4: the, and, and it has the
2: benefit it, so. of now sixty uh, percent of Americans thinking the Iraq War was a disaster, and why? Because we mindlessly went and blew it up when that wasn't the smart way to go. Democrats take the position. Jill's talking about we're the smart guys. We're going to know how to protect you uh, without mindlessly throwing bombs at the problem. And that's what all the Republicans do. Now, let's take some calls here. Let's go to Tony in Phoenix online, too. I'm sure he agrees with us.
5: Go ahead. Hey, You know, I predicted this this morning when I read it with callers like your last guy, that it was going to be like the timing and George Bush and this and that. The, the, the bottom line, put the politics aside. I'm a conservative. Don't we all realize that those people want to destroy us and hate our way of life, and we must protect ourselves, whether you're Democrat or Republican. And both sides are failing because of the border issue and, like you said, the cargo issue. Can't we just try to come to somewhat together and keep going, Bush is stupid and the war is stupid and Bush is an idiot, just like every day you beat the hell out of Bush. And the other day, I wanted my wife to listen to you. A while back, we were driving. And you spent three hours slamming Tucker Carlson. Come yeah. on, man. Yeah.
6: All right, Tony, let me have you seen Tucker Carlson? <laughs> well,
5: I mean, come on, is that All what right, it's Tony. about? I said, hey, you got to listen Tony. to these guys. They make some good Tony. points, you know? And then it was it was Tucker Carlson slam fest and I'm like uh, she goes, well, what is this? I go, well, they usually make some pretty, you know, some valid stuff. Tony, let me ask you a question.
2: Tony, let me ask you a question. God bless you for saying that, but let me ask you a question. Look, I, I hear you. Of course, do the Democrats want to get beyond it and actually solve the real, real problems? Of course. But what are you going to do when you have a, a, a real disagreement where you think, well, look, this Iraq war is going to make us less safe. It's created, a, as the State Department agrees, 84 out of 100 top national security people in the country were asked, and all, 84 of them said Iraq has created more terrorism and has yeah. now hotbed for terrorism.
5: I don't buy that. I don't buy that. But okay, I, I, hold on, no, 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 no. hold on. Tony, let me finish the question. Let me finish the
2: question. Okay. Now, if that is the honest view of those people, do you understand that they have to speak against the Iraq war because they think it's making us less safe? Yes, that it's not yes, just a political I, thing and that we have an honest disagreement about how to make us uh, uh, more safe and that we have to speak our mind about it, that it's not just a bash bush?
5: Yes. Okay. I do agree with that. That's fine, speaking your mind about it. But... Don't you understand, regardless of Iraq or anywhere, that these people in general want to kill you, or they hate everything you stand for? Do you understand that?
1: No. Uh, and I, I don't know. Explain. I also don't know who you mean by these people. Do you mean actually well, the people? Well, and, are-
5: and I just read in, in London that 70% of the Muslims are dishing. They just, they hate it, and they want. I think we should just get rid of most of them out of there. The Muslim people in general, I'm not saying all Muslims, there's, there's millions of Muslims, but they do not like what we stand for and they will continue to try to kill you and if we could get France and Germany and everybody else on board and some other countries, on board. we probably could eradicate this. On, bar- Eradi- on board for what? On board what? For, what? Eradicating 70- for eradication and going after these people aggressively not just us and, and London and Italy and a couple other countries because you guys stonewall it you're, you're talking about Joe Lieberman who's a, who actually is you think I we should him.
1: eradicate 70 70- Ninety percent of the Muslims, based on eradication, by the way, which I thought was a great point.
5: Yes, I am for kill eradic- I am for kill or be killed at this point. You would have. What would you? And, and the, by wow. the way, the, the Republican, right. the Republican comeback to your thing about we're not safe is the Republican comeback is going to go. Well, how many times have we been attacked since nine eleven in America? How many? Zero, and that's the big argument.
1: How many times have we been attacked in the Bush administration? One.
5: (laughs) Um, Okay, how many times? That's what I'm saying, since 9-11. It wouldn't matter if it was Bush or Kerry or whoever on 9-11, and you know that.
1: Not no, I don't actually. I don't. Oh, all right, Tony. On. Let me, Tony, 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 Tony. I don't. Know, first of all, here's a. I'm not going to get a. Oh, come on, please. From some guy. How many Muslims are there in the world, Jenk? In the Middle East? Over a billion. Oh, over man. a billion. No. So you want to kill 700 million Muslims? I want to kill Al
5: Qaeda and destroy them.
1: You said you wanted to kill 70 percent of the Muslims who hate. I want
5: I said 70 percent of the Muslims in London are disenfranchised and hate their country and 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 feel like they don't belong there. I deport them. Why? <laughs> That's what I would say to them.
1: What All about right. the seven? What about the seventy percent or eighty percent of the Muslims in the Middle East who hate us? What do you do about them?
5: They hate us. If they're trying to kill us, if what? they're over here with planes and things doing things, I'm for total eradication. I'm for turning it into glass.
2: All right. So and open up your,
5: hey, open up your phones right. to Muslims right. that hate America one hour and see who calls,
1: okay?
2: All right, Tony. God bless. And
1: then maybe you'll forward.
5: agree with
1: me. No, no you're an idiot. Okay. You're, really a, da- you're a dangerous guy. Thank God you're not an officer. We'd all be in jeopardy of a nuclear holocaust at any moment.
2: All right, okay. we're done with Tony. Look, I was going to ask him a couple of rational questions, but when he got into the eradication, the holocaust like of, a, a, of a billion Muslims across the world, there's no need to. How have do you, have
1: you a turn them into speech? glass? I don't quite understand that.
2: Yeah. What does that mean? People always say that i don't know what it means either anyway look let's, let's get real first of all of course tony would want me uh, also deported i'm muslim i'm in america and i guess since tony read a statistic about some 70 percent somewhere in the western world we all gotta go and uh second of all i bet if we start deporting all the muslims then that'll make the muslims love us uh second of all if they don't love us tony doesn't care because he plans to kill them all he plans to kill a billion people but don't worry we're the good guys right and uh, I love the third of all, what Tony doesn't recognize is, yeah, we stopped 24 uh, Muslims, we believe Muslims, I'd be shocked 50. if they weren't, uh, 24 to 50 Muslims that were planning to carry out this attack. You know who helped us do it? Millions upon hundreds of millions of Muslims in Pakistan, through their government, helped us to do it. Now... Did you consider at all that if you, under your glass theory, we turn them <laughs> all into glass that we wouldn't have had the yeah, Pakistani we turn, government's help?
1: Good ones. What we, we'll have is a glass-making bomb that will only turn the dangerous ones into glass. And by the way, 24... But
3: if we turn them all into glass we wouldn't really need the, the you know, we wouldn't really need them for help. Uh,
1: 20, you know what, wait, uh, tw- hang on, 24 to 50 Muslims here, uh, again, are almost certainly Muslims, 24 to 50 uh, 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 fundamentalist uh, nut jobs, which is my word of the day, apparently nut job, um, uh, trying to kill us, uh, trying to kill Americans, Uh, and we stopped them, and that is nothing but good work by the British and the Pakistanis, and to whatever contribution the Bush administration made, uh, credit to them as well, and credit for the last five years without a terrorist attack. But uh, what I don't understand is, and this goes back to this, why is your thought then, let's get rid of these guys, because even those 24 to 50 guys who tried to kill us, Tony wants They all tried to kill us, all of them. Every Muslim in the Middle East tried to kill us. But, again, is a point we make all the time when Tim McVeigh blows up the Murrah Building in Oklahoma City – we're not killing all the white christians
3: look irrational people do not believe in our own ability to protect this country so instead they go for the weaker idea and that's just blow them all up over there we really need to concentrate on how uh, being able to secure the united states and take precaution and prevent an attack rather than just try and annihilate an entire race of people because of you know a small percent that 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 want to hurt us.
2: We're going to we're going to take the break here, but and we're going to take your calls after we take the break. But I got to tell you something. I mean, I love the idea of a caller telling us, "No, no, no you don't understand. We got to kill all these Muslims cuz they're barbarians and they're yeah. all looking to hate our way of life and they're looking to kill us." And our way of life is to kill a billion of them.
1: Yeah, well, 700. Okay. He's, got, he's letting 300 million live.
2: <laughs> Okay. So if that's our way of life, there's some chance we're the barbarians, but it's not. But you know what? If the Republican Party wants to take that on as their slogan, let's kill them all, okay, God bless. Go forward. You take that position. I'll take the position of intelligence, and we'll see who comes out ahead.
7: Of course, the world has been anything but quiet this August. And now comes what British and American authorities describe as a major plot to blow up transatlantic airline flights. Dozens are in custody and travelers are having to jettison all liquids from their carry-on baggage. And liquidity, in both a small and large sense, is the theme of today's piece. It's called The Liquid World, How to Survive in an Age of Death. It's written by William Salatan. Twelve days ago, I flew from London's Heathrow Airport to Washington's Dulles Airport. In my shoulder bag, I had two bottles of water and a portable alarm clock. If the security officers at Heathrow had taken my alarm clock and my bottles, I still had a wristwatch and a tube of toothpaste. If they'd taken those, I had butterscotch candies and three pens full of ink. If they'd taken those, I had a container of prescribed pills and a key that unlocks my car by remote control. You want to stop people from blowing up planes with sophisticated explosives and detonators? Start confiscating pills and car keys. That's my reaction to the news that we've foiled a plot involving liquid explosives and flash cameras. Airport security teams are confiscating liquids, gels, and lotions. Britain is banning iPods and cell phones. At Dulles, a passenger was ordered to peel her banana. Do you think somebody capable of hiding an explosive inside a banana peel isn't capable of hiding it inside the banana? The new no-liquid rules make an exception for prescription medication. Do you think I can't make a prescription label on my color printer at my office? Do you think I can't empty and refill capsules? How will you check my key to make sure it operates my car? Will you take it at the security gate? Will you make people leave their car keys at the airport? Security machines screen from metal, not liquids. To catch liquids, officials say they'll frisk more passengers. But people already carry illegal drugs onto planes by sealing them in plastic bags and swallowing them or hiding them in body cavities. How many cavities do we plan to search? The government says it's developing gizmos to spot liquid densities characteristic of explosives. Good luck. In the abandoned 1990s Bojinka plot, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and Ramzi Youssef left behind dolls with explosive nitrocellulose in their clothes. Show me the gizmo that can catch that. Take my water, and I've still got my clothes. President Bush praises what he called the solid investigation that uncovered the plot. Homeland Security Secretary Michael Chertoff says the British did it by following threads. Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez says we're working to dismantle these terrorist cells before an attack occurs. Kip Hawley, the head of the Transportation Security Agency, says liquid explosives are, quote, on our radar screen, unquote. These are the metaphors of a bygone age. Nothing is solid for sure anymore, not even bombs. Between terrorist cells, there are often no threads. No dismantling is final. Radars lousy in water. We're living in a liquid world. All the solid lines, states, borders, battlefronts are melting. British Home Secretary John Reid made that point in a speech earlier this week. Then he reassured Britons that their government, through tougher immigration control, was protecting them from terrorists, many of whom, he said, come from far beyond our shores and have no real connection to our nation. Nice try. According to reports, many of the alleged conspirators arrested in the new plot are British citizens. Sealing your borders won't protect you. So, what do we do? As Reid put it, quote, what happens when the threat to our nation, and hence to all of us as individuals, comes not from a fascist state, but from what might be called fascist individuals, individuals who are unconstrained by any of the international conventions, laws, agreements, or standards, and have therefore unconstrained intent, individuals who can network courtesy of new technology and access modern chemical, biological, and other means of mass destruction, and who have therefore unconstrained capability, unquote. The answer is, some of us die. And the rest of us grieve, but we go on, doing our best to fight the bad guys and heal the world. The grieving and fighting and healing never end the dying. We are probably in the most sustained period of severe threat since the end of World War II, Reed observed. Quote, while I am confident that the security services and police will deliver 100% effort and 100% dedication, they can never guarantee 100% success, unquote. That's the bottom line. We die. In a liquid world, you can't seal off evil. All you can do is fight liquid with liquid. You have to absorb the tragedy, flowing around and through it. You need the strength of a river, not a rock. You need resilience. You can't be untouchable, but you can be undefeated. Reed ended his speech with a quote from Charles Darwin, quote, It is not the strongest of the species that survived, nor the most intelligent, but the one most responsive to change, unquote it isn't the individual who has to adapt and survive, it's the species.
3: Waiting for the big fall To take us off Quiet nights and desperate
8: Our next guest is named Stephen Flynn. Stephen Flynn is the author of America the Vulnerable, How Our Government is Failing to Protect Us from Terrorism. He's a former advisor on Homeland Security for the U.S. Commission on National Security, which is often called the Hart-Rudman Commission. That was essentially the commission that predicted 9-11. Uh, Stephen Flynn is also the Jean J. Kirkpatrick Senior Fellow for National Security Studies at the uh, Always Suspicious Council on Foreign Relations here in New York City. Uh, Stephen Flynn joins us on the phone this morning thank you for joining us
4: good to be with you rachel
8: um steven what was um i wanted to ask specifically about the technology of 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 yesterday's terror plot this idea to use uh liquid explosives or gel-based explosives on commercial airlines brought onto planes uh, in carry-on luggage is that kind of uh, approach to the technology of a terror attack did that surprise you at all or is that the kind of thing we should have seen coming
4: Well, we saw it coming. It actually was the base for a foiled attack in 1994 uh, to take down airliners out across the Pacific Ocean. Mm -hmm. And so this is not, uh, I mean, one of the things I think we need to do is take a a deep breath. Um, This is not the scale of 9-11 in terms of attack, because what we're talking about happened uniquely and very disastrously in 9-11 was commandeering an airline and turning it into a missile to target buildings. Uh, of some stature with a lot of destruction, blowing up an airplane in flight is an air disaster, but it's not on the scale of 9/11. But this, this was a uh, this. That being said, what we seem we have here are a growing problem, which is this homegrown problem. These are folks that don't fit on our traditional radar screen in terms of the intelligence community. Uh, in this case, British-born nationals, first second generation. Uh, from these exempt countries, that is, these you know folks can fly in and out of this country uh, without going through a screening process that we do in other parts of the neighborhood world where we think uh, they're scary neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. So, so there, there are two t- sides of this here. There's there's clearly a problem that Al Qaeda has gone from being an organization to a movement. We don't know. There's still stuff kicking around here about how whether there's any direct fingerprints between what's called Al Qaeda Central and these sort of self-generating groups. Everything I've seen about this today t- tells me that it's, it was not necessary that there would be an al Qaeda central. It could have been, but it was not necessary, and that's what should be worrisome. And it's not just because this can be, uh, this is something that's going on. These radicalized um, these young men who are willing to become suicide bombers in this kind of way. It's, that's just not concentrated in the United Kingdom. It's, this is a problem that Western Europe. We had rest in, in Toronto. Uh, and Toronto's a pretty nice neighborhood. So uh, hmm. this is something that uh, not only it's a drift to, uh, below the 49th parallel, and so we have stuff uh, here too. Now, that, but again, the ability to put together a real 9-11 scale attack that takes down major critical infrastructure and, and so forth. These these uh, self-generated groups have a ways to go there, but this is a worrisome one because we've gone from four guys last year in London um, using suicide attacks on the on the British underground to now what looks like a group of 24. That's who's been apprehended, and I'm sure there's some additional folks there. All, but, but in terms of where we are today, in terms of this technology, uh, it, it's old technology, and mm-hmm. something we've known about for quite some while. I, I guess I would like to have seen folks take a little bit deeper breath, even what we know right now is that these folks in the actually have these explosives uh, at the ready here. Mm-hmm. They were in the process. The, the group was apprehended uh, prior to them actually having the explosives. It's clear they had a plan, they probably had the capability. But why, and and of course, one day we immediately have to roll out these rules uh, is a little little crazy. Right, especially
8: when nobody's saying that the plot or even a dry run for the plot was planned for yesterday, but all of a sudden there's these incredibly strict rules that basically shut down air travel, certainly around Britain, um, because of the threat supposedly posed yesterday, even though they're saying the threat wasn't for yesterday.
4: Well, well, this this is why, you know, the heart of my, my argument, my biggest concern is not what terrorists can do to us, but what we can do to ourselves. When we're yeah.
8: spooked. Yeah.
4: And, and, and that's directly related, though, to how comfortable we are with the security we do and, and, and its quality. And uh, there's there's lots of parts of, certainly in the United States, uh, uh, vulnerabilities for which we have so little that this overreaction is almost a certainty. Now, what you always have when you have an incident like this is a lot of uncertainty, and there's a bureaucratic tendency to say, I, since I don't know and I can't identify if there are any terrorists left over, and since we know this is their new modus operandi to potentially use these, this mm-hmm. group, we've to be extra careful and make mothers, you know, sip the baby formula before they get onto the plane. Right. You know, this is where I wish we could draw some lines. There is no, in terms of all the profiles of suicide bombers, we have we have never had one that was a mother bringing their infant child on a plane.
8: And if we did okay. have one, they probably would train themselves not to wince when sipping their nitroglycerin, yeah.
4: <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, so, so we've got to be able to use some human judgment here and working our way through the, these kinds of issues, but, but it's safer you know, for us often, safer bureaucratically to say, well, let's overreach, but cause huge disruption as a result. Well, let's
8: overreach in a very convenient way. I mean, I'm not conspiratorial about this, but I feel like there's, there's three main ways to worry about this, and I'm more worried and angry about them today than I was this time yesterday. And the first one is the ideology that's driving uh, people to become radicalized and beca- become willing to become suicide bombers against Western interests, becoming more prevalent around the world and not less prevalent. The second one is the people who are actually attacking us, whether or not it's uh, Al-Qaeda central or whether it is these these more homegrown cells, our ability, uh, the the, the ability and the inability of the United States to really focus on policing as an approach to this, which seems to be the only thing that works against them. And then just the, the damn issue of how hard we are as a target. If they knew in 1994 and 1995 that the guys who tried to take down the World Trade Center were using liquid Explosives on airplanes to target Western targets. Why didn't they start then trying to take steps to keep liquid explosives off planes? Why did we start that yesterday?
4: Yeah, well, all sort of good questions and concerns. I mean, the core issue is the terrorism risk is getting worse, not yeah. better. Yes, right. it's, it's really two drivers here. One is the skills that are being developed in places like Iraq. Uh, this is where it's become a proving ground for learning how to attack things like power mains, uh, power generation, uh, pipelines, refineries wa- water treatment systems, and so forth and then this information is spread through uh, internet chat rooms and so forth and the secondly is you've, you've got a growing number of folks with very, very clearly a lot of grievance and a very tiny percentage, but enough to really potentially do something that we saw yesterday foiled to. To, to go, uh, what we call radicalized, mm-hmm. and then become operational and willing to, to potentially take their own lives in pursuit of this holy war. So we've got this. Uh, uh, we got these both problems that are not contained to the middle east and so we have to think through okay there's risk now and there always has been what's the most intelligent way to deal with the risk and how can we put adequate safeguards in place it will not be a fail safe system it's a it's a tricky nut to crack on this liquid one from a technology standpoint it's tricky But, but we, in air, aviation, what's sort of mind boggling is while we're we're going through the routine we're doing right now for passengers, everything going below the plane, you know, the planes have two decks. Mm -hmm. The one you sit on and below that is air cargo in your bags. The air cargo is going on board unscreened. Yeah. And, and now we can, we have a program there called the known shipper or trusted shipper. Uh, People have been shipping for a long time, presumably been taking some safeguards. I'd like to see a lot more oversight of that. But but it's something that we should be able to do on the traveler side as well. We we should be able to identify, you know, trusted travelers. I mean, people who are former Secret Service agents who protected the president, we could probably put them in an envelope that says, you know, a a list that makes that risk of their blowing themselves up and taking their passengers with them pretty low.
8: But is the the devotion of resources toward targets that aren't really targets really the issue issue when we're not actually doing stuff to, I mean, we're we're not screening the cargo. We're not protecting the chemical plants. We're not actually even protecting the nuclear plants plants, to a great extent. We're not not doing all of this stuff that everybody kind of assumes must have been scaled up after 9-11. And I feel like that issue of, well, how can we not focus, how can we take the focus and the resources away from the things that aren't really threats? I can't believe that that's the real problem about why we're not safe. Yeah,
4: well, I call it security immaturity and that's sort of where we are we're struggling as a country to deal with this sense of vulnerability and, and making choices and you know in less than uh, basically setting the priorities and living with the priorities and accepting some level of risk and I think a big part of it is just our failure to talk to uh, the American people our government's failure to talk to American people as if they are grown-ups about about both threats and risk and and what we see here is actually people are pretty resilient i mean people aren't just fleeing uh airplanes in droves they're trying to work around these issues the biggest thing that we could we did after 9-11 the most important things were two pretty simple ones we locked the cockpit door yeah and we changed behavior of passengers and and that happened of course uh even before that the last airplane came down once passengers knew knew that they were not going to be hijacked to go to a warm country with lousy food but we're going to be turned into a missile that the passengers themselves uh, took matters into their own hand, and Washington obviously benefited from that.
8: That's right. And what, that's what stopped the Richard Reid shoe bombing, too, Was passenger action. That's it, the only it, thing that that's happened in the United States that makes me feel safer after 9-11 than, than anything the government has done. And,
4: and so those are important things, engagement. There's other sort of very practical stuff that we, we should be doing. You know, our our system is still a very top-centric. Uh, uh, the, the FBI manages joint terrorism task force and so forth. There's a top-down federal approach. The person's most likely to bump Into a group like we saw foiled in London yesterday is a PD guy or average police department guy just going in on a normal call. With those folks are trained to know, to know uh, Spot a Met Lab, and uh, they're, they're trained To spot, you know, cocaine and so forth here But none of them, are, very few of them are trained To spot this kind of stuff uh, We need to Since this is a problem that is making Chemicals and using the bombs, got to make sure Your local law enforcement uh, is, is trained on spotting this stuff Because that's, as in this case, that's how You actually end up catching these folks
8: And in, in all other countries' experience with, with dealing with both homegrown And foreign terrorism threats, it's, it's policing that ends up bringing these guys down. It's very rarely F-16s in unrelated countries.
4: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's Well, we're talking, you know, the classic community policing as well. Yeah. We've got to make sure that our police departments, and New York is in pretty good shape this way, but very few of the rest of our police departments are, look like the communities that they're policing. Yeah. You know, this is a hard job, but you actually recruit actively. You get people with the language skills, the cultural background, uh, who are recently immigrated or, or uh, first generation. These are absolutely have to be a part of the community because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we need people to uh, uh, to trust their police forces and to also, uh, uh, you know, civic action is going to be key. So it's a collection of all these various things that we could be investing in, not just making mothers surrender uh, their juices for their child.
8: Well, yeah, and just and being willing to talk about practically eliminating threats rather than just stoking fear for political gain. Ste- Stephen Flynn, uh, we have to go, but I'm happy to talk to you today and we'd love to have you back soon as this does kind of simmer down. And we get to take a cooler look at this issue. We'd love to have you back in the next couple of weeks to talk about it again. Absolutely. Thank Thanks you very much. <laughs>
6: Bernie Sanders, welcome to the program.
9: Good to be with you, Tom. From a beautiful, beautiful day here in Burlington Vermont.
6: Uh, it, it, I was there last weekend. The weather is—it was just marvelous. Bernie, the my my mother and niece flew out from Michigan to Portland, Oregon, here where we live uh, yesterday, and got stuck for five hours in the in the airport in Chicago and uh, general madness and hysteria. Uh, in fact, uh, my niece bought a a, a a bottle of water inside the secure area next to the gate from the shop, and they wouldn't let her carry it on the plane. Um, just it was like panic, yeah. and uh, I, I'm just wondering what your take is on on. Here we are, five years after 9/11, um, t- ten years after the after the, you know of the, the the plot to blow up the plane and out of the on Philippine Airlines. I guess, eleven years, I guess. Um, where are we at on all this stuff?
9: Well, I think we got to look at it in two separate ways. Uh, number one is terrorism a serious issue? Is what just took place in the United Kingdom? serious business, and I think the answer is, of course, yes. Uh, There are people out there, Islamic fundamentalists, uh, who, in fact, are prepared to blow up planes to do worse, and it is the obligation, absolutely, of the United States government, the Congress, the President, to do everything that they can to protect the American people. That's number one. And number two, to try, which we are certainly not doing to understand the causes of Islamic fundamentalism, the causes of terrorism, and try to reach out to people so that we don't see thousands and thousands of young people prepared to blow themselves up, killing uh, innocent uh, people, innocent Americans or Israelis or anybody else, in the name of some holy jihad. That's a long-term struggle, and, and we've got to wage it. On, on So my point is on two levels. Immediately, we need to protect the American people, fight terrorism. Long-term, we have to turn that issue around. Uh I think, in the midst of all that, that you have a Republican administration in Washington that will exploit uh, the terrorist issue and the, legit, the real terrorist threat for political advantage. Of course, that's not debatable. That's Carl Rowe's point of view. That's what he says. Republicans are falling apart in terms of the economy. Middle class is sinking. Healthcare system is disintegrating. Worst environmental record uh, in American history. Tax on civil liberties. Uh, and on and on it goes. So what have they they got? They will talk about uh, national security. They will uh, try to make those of us uh, in the opposition, quote-unquote, weak on terrorism. My opponent uh, in this campaign is now running a 30-second TV ad. Bernie Sanders is weak on terrorism, doing it in Ohio, doing it all over America. That's what they're doing. But having said that, the real issue is terrorism is serious business. How do we address it? And in that regard, I think it is fair to say Uh, that the war in Iraq that uh, George Bush misled us into has made a difficult and bad situation worse. Uh, The fact that in many ways the Bush administration gave up the efforts that Clinton had worked very hard on trying to develop a peace process in the Middle East became completely distracted from that, is resulting in in where we are uh, today. Uh, The fact that even in terms of just fundamental issues of national security, everybody knows, everybody knows that our borders are porous. You know, we see that as an immigration issue with illegal immigrants, but you know what? People who wish us well can pretty easily get through our borders. Uh, if you look at the issue right now of this uh, uh, attack uh, that was thwarted in the United Kingdom, we're dealing with liquid explosives. Well, you know what, Tom, you recalled it some 10 years ago. That was an attack planned yep. against us using liquid explosive. Well, how yeah. far have we gone in coming up with the technology that we need so that your niece can drink water on the plane when people might think it's a liquid
6: explosive? Well, here's, here's even a step beyond that, Bernie. The, 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 the way that liquid explosive is made, and I'm not uh, revealing state secrets here. I mean, this is you know, public knowledge, is by mixing acetone, which is basically a nail polish remover, with uh, pure hydrogen peroxide. Now, the hydrogen peroxide you buy in the drugstore is only 3%. Most of it's water. It's 97% water. And so the only way you can get pure hydrogen peroxide is from a chemical supply house, and usually it's used in an industry because it's dangerous stuff, you know, at, at that high level of purity. That... That technology of mixing those two chemicals together to make a bomb that can be ignited with a flash from a camera or something like that was, as you said correctly, was used 11 years ago to blow up, uh, to blow a hole in the side of a Philippine Airlines, you know, passenger jet by by Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and Ramzi Yousef, the guys that, that, that we got right. So we and and you would think that the Bush administration would put two and two together sometime in the last five years and say, you know, maybe we should have a registry of people who are buying industrial strength, 100% pure hydrogen peroxide, because it's only used for industry. But no, they're not doing that.
9: Right, and, and that's the point. I mean, those are the things that we should be doing. And going back to, you know, you and I have discussed this in the past, the vulnerability of this country in terms of very poor port security mm. and the uh, the fact that we are not uh checking the uh, vast majority of containers that are come into this country that can contain and have some very dangerous material
6: in them. And we're not checking the cargo on our passenger planes. They the plane not. that my mother flew on yesterday, uh, she got, you know, granny got frisked, but the the, the cargo didn't. So the the
9: point there is terrorism is serious business. Is the Bush administration doing a particularly good job in protecting us in my view not no. The answer is no. Is the war in Iraq and our foreign policy making a difficult situation worse? Yes, I think it is. Will the Bush administration and Republicans exploit the real and legitimate fears of terrorism for political purpose? Of course they will. So what our job is, is to make sure that we reassure the American people, those of us, in fact, who are fighting hard to protect the American people from terrorism, short-term and long-term, and expose the weaknesses of Bush administration uh, in that area, mm.
6: and 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 those weaknesses go beyond just the absolute incompetence and and lack of concern apparently for for things like you know tracking uh, hydrogen peroxide or, or inspecting the cargo of stuff in planes, uh, all the way to for example uh, the United States virtually. Uh, ignoring uh, southern Lebanon when right. when that democracy when Syria pulled out and Israel pulled out and there was a power vacuum there and the resolution 1665 from the UN said you know okay world step in help out and Bush uh... ah oh, we're too busy we don't do that stuff
9: and the fact that we have now given up the pursuit of Osama bin Laden yeah I mean here's a guy you know who killed three thousand innocent Americans and he's safe in some cave in Afghanistan. Uh and on it goes. So I mean I I think as a nation what we have got to do is look at this very serious issue, short term, protecting the American people, dealing with the immediate crises that we face. Long term, which is very difficult. I mean admittedly it's difficult, and that is how do you reach out to the people in the Muslim world, people who are living on a dollar a day, people who have no education? How do you say to them, you know what, the United States want your kids to have an education, want your kids to have health care. We are not your enemy Osama bin Laden and people who want to see you blow yourself up. those are your enemies. Now how do you do that? That's not so easy, but we have clearly are moving in exactly the wrong direction uh, in that whole effort.
6: You know Bill Clinton, out of his uh, presidential campaign, there was the slogan that became virtually a cliche. The best welfare program in the world is a job. Mm-hmm. But I think you could also say in a very real way, one of the best anti-terrorism programs is is a job, in a democracy. and 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 help, you know and and when Bush went in and and knocked down the Iraqi government, the first thing they did was create a neocon state, you know, tore down the border, said any corporation can come in, they can bring in foreigners, cheap labor, uh, they, they made labor unions illegal, uh, flat tax, 15% flat tax, so, you know, do away with the minimum wage, all these things. And now you've got 50% unemployment in Iraq, and they wonder why they're the right, So If
9: you are, are a proud Iraqi, if you are unemployed, if you can't have electricity to run and air when the temperature is 120 degrees, you see American troops going up and down the streets. How are you feeling about the United States of America? You're not feeling too good, and that's in other countries as well. Now, this is tough stuff, and I don't want to simplify it, and I don't want to blame George Bush for everything. This is tough stuff, but clearly, we are, not, we are losing this effort. More and more people are turning to the Osama bin Laden's of the world. They're not looking at us with respect, quite the contrary.
4: All of the prices paid The definitions made have all expired It's all gone haywire
3: How can you really say This is the only way
2: Let's uh,
4: go to the phones now. Let's go to Chris in
2: Virginia on line four. Hey, Chris. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. No problem, man.
3: We haven't heard from hey. you in forever.
10: Sorry I missed your birthday, Julie.
3: Yeah, thanks. I was waiting for the flowers. I didn't get them.
10: Yeah, I am I got there a little late. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Hey, can I have permission to use the word nakedity? I kind of like that.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it's, I love nakedity. Um,
10: All right. I appreciate it. I uh, I got a couple quick points to make, and then I'll get out. Um, I've been waiting for almost an hour to respond to Tony, because he just pissed me off.
1: Oh, wow. This is an, um, let me just the re- – there an earlier caller who uh, suggested ultimately that uh, we had to eradicate the Muslims who want to get us, even if it means like 700 million of them.
10: Yeah. Um, it, his re- His uh, – Statement about turning the Middle East into glass—it has to do with thermonuclear bombs, a million degrees on the desert sand. Right, turning the sand
1: into glass. We are. Our executive producer came in and informed us of that uh, of that fact.
10: Um, uh, You know, I was over in the Middle East last week. Were you? And I was listening to a uh, Middle Eastern talk show. It was called "Elderly Yemen's." (laughs) (laughs) And this guy called in, and his name was Tony Alalala, (laughs) and. He he was frustrated, and he was feeling a little bit of despair, and he was angry, and he didn't really know how to fight back. And his response was, you know, I think we should just kill most of the Americans, because I don't know how to deal with them, and I don't know what to do with them, so I think we should just kill them.
1: Right, and they don't, and, they uh, don't, they don't like us, so we should kill them.
10: Well, I'm, I'm just my point is that tony sounded an awful lot like a fundamentalist muslim terrorist when he was advocating killing people he didn't like
1: yeah but you understand you we know? understand the thing of it is uh, tony uh, who called us earlier he's a um he's he's a civilized man and he wants to get rid of the barbarians by showing his civilized manner and and turning those 700 million barbarians into glass. It reminds Maybe you just don't understand you know,
2: that. You know person. what? It reminds me of, of the conquistadors that came to uh, America, and they would take the the natives, and they would try to convert them into Christianity, and the natives didn't understand what they were saying because they were speaking Spanish, right? And they'd be like, oh, these barbarians. They, they won't even accept Christ into their heart, and then they'd cut their heads off.
9: Yeah. Well, that's one way to go. <laughs> yeah,
2: I mean... And never understanding the hypocrisy of that. Never understanding the gar- gargantuan irony of their acts. And they would say, well, since they're not civilized, let's kill them all.
1: Yeah, it's the it's. It's not so much the, you're right, there's great irony there. Mainly what there is is profound ignorance mm-hmm. of not understanding well, it, an entire other way of life.
10: If you guys remember, I started out as a Republican before I started listening to you. And yeah, so I live we... with a certain, hey, don't even start, Joey.
8: Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
5: I...
10: I started with a certain degree of ignorance myself, and before you guys got so serious and, you know, a little bit more angry than you were three years ago, you guys used to spend time explaining to callers why they were morons and try to get them to change their mind. And lately I've noticed that, you know, you kind of call them names and hang up on them, and I don't know that's exactly the best way to turn them into Democrats, but, you know, if that works for you. His last point was you should open the phones to – Muslim. Muslim terrorists, I guess, and have yeah. them invite them to call in, and I would say, go ahead.
1: yeah, we have open a...
10: your phones right now and see how many Muslim
4: terrorists you get calling in. By
1: the way, you know, first of all, uh, Chris, thank you. it's a good point uh, I, I I think uh, you're um, you're probably right. Um, regarding, uh, I
4: don't band. think we should give
2: Chris any credit. You know, I think we should call him a name and hang up on him. Yeah.
3: No, I think Chris is absolutely right. We need to be sensitive to them like we were to him. We we invited him as a friend, and then we converted his ass.
1: No, but we just oh, – but, the, but the, you know, the, the, if, I mean, if we're just yelling at people and hanging – So, look, some people have always gotten yelled at. And had names hurled at them. Um, That's true. And we did. I thought we tried a little bit there with Tony. Maybe we lacked the patience. No, 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 no.
2: Let me explain something. Look, Chris, God bless you, man. We love you. You know that. Uh, Go forward. All good points. All terrific points. Listen, we I was we were going back and forth with to Al Tony. I'll call him Al Tony from now on. And 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 I was going to ask him more questions, like I said. But then he got to the point where he was talking about genocide and killing all the Muslims. And then there's no sense in a further to, uh, conversation because that don't make any sense. I doubt we're going to get people to go. Oh yeah, maybe I was in favor of killing all the Muslims before, but maybe those guys have a point. Maybe we shouldn't kill them all. You know, there's a point where you can have an intelligent conversation. A point where it's past the the time for that.
8: Like him inside and outside, blew his house with the blue little window and a blue Corvette, and everything is blue for him and himself
11: and everybody around. Cause he ain't got nobody to listen, to listen, to listen, to listen. I'm the
3: need
8: I've I've been I've I've
11: To save time at airport security checkpoints, a year ago, the Under report recommended, among other things, putting your kids through x-ray, like a laptop computer, and flying in your pajamas and slippers. Times sure have changed in a year, because the threats have changed. By now, listeners are familiar with the new policy instituted by the Transportation Security Administration banning most liquids and gels in carry-on baggage. That includes beverages, shampoo, suntan, lotion, creams, toothpaste, hair gel, and other items of similar consistency. It seems like only yesterday. I carried on a plastic tub of my mom's chili, the lid sealed with duct tape, nicely stowed in a paper bag over my seat. Those were the good old days. Good chili, too. Thursday morning on my way to Columbus, Ohio, the TSA confiscated my saline nasal spray, the fellow in front of me lost his southern comfort in hair gel. My travel companion, she bragged about beating the brand new system, smuggling her Victoria's Secret lip plumper right through security undetected. She really stuck it to the man that day, and all weekend each time she twisted that metal tube of lip gloss. In a nation where high school seniors rank near the bottom in science and math, Americans are now required to know the three properties of matter— as to discern whether the carry-ons are solid, liquid, or gas. To the woman who stood with me at Los Angeles International Airport on Thursday, I'm sorry about your O2 Cabernet, but I was more concerned that you did not know it was in fact a liquid. The waters are murkier than ever. At Sky Harbor Airport in Phoenix, I heard this announcement from an airline employee. You can bring a sandwich, a pizza, or a hamburger on the plane, but you will not be allowed to board with a sealed ketchup or mustard packet. Terrorism is not funny, but everyone at gate A-10 was laughing. Because they know all too well what happens when ketchup mixes with mustard. Delicious! The TSA explicitly asked travelers to not joke about such matters, but people joked anyway perhaps out of nervousness or the flat-out absurdity of our new war on condiments. Just think, it's now a federal crime to get peanut butter on someone's chocolate and chocolate in someone's peanut butter. America's airports are now huge repositories of toiletries. I watched a guy practically in tears hand over what looked like a bottle of high karate cologne. Everyone else in line was near tears, too, mainly because of how he smelled. One woman at Port Columbus Airport in Ohio nearly collapsed giving up a clear plastic tote filled with precious bottles of liquid foundation. Yet a woman carrying a yapping chihuahua passed through security hassle-free. Some people want to blow up airplanes. Some want their lips to look glossy. Barking chihuahua, yes, Revlon covergirl, no. The incongruity of it all is as palpable as the threat is real. Our defense, both vigilant and distracting, and ultimately, maddening. So, the Unger Report Travel Guideline Update is simply this. Fly Naked.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody. So, this past weekend has been a bit of a giant cluster F, so I missed a day. I apologize. You know, it's no big deal. But... What I wanted to talk about is this last week, I, well, I, I talked a little bit last week about how I I enjoy being introspective, and um, the same job that allows me to listen to all the shows that come together to, to form the best of the left is the same job that allows me to be very introspective at the same time. It's a very... Uh, isolationist type job, which I actually hate and I'm quitting soon, and I'll tell you all about it when that happens, uh, hopefully soon. Um, I just won't talk about it now because I plan on, on bad mouthing it a whole lot, so I'll just hold off for a little while. But last week I was working and just an idea, a, a question struck me, and it's one of those questions that like, it's such a big question that you might not even think to put any thought into it. But I did put thought into it because I had time to kill, so why not? And I I really, uh, I kind of blew myself away. I, I, I blew my mind uh, thinking about it. And so instead of just telling you what conclusions I came to, and what thoughts I had, I'm just going to pose the question to you. And you can think about it yourself. I encourage you to not just pass it over as uh, as something that seems too big of a question for you to tackle. Uh, if you come to any interesting conclusions, you can feel free to write me uh, at hippysympathizer at gmail.com. I, I may Bring this up again later. I may read your emails. It may just give me ideas. I'm, it could create, you know, more of a conversation in the future. But the question that I posed to myself, and it was one of those things that just kind of struck me out of the blue. I don't know what made me think of it, and I think it's appropriate now that we're all staring, staring death right in the face every time we uh, get within a hundred miles of an airport, that. Um, so it it made me think what do we live for what do I live for and I'll give you a hint I don't believe in heaven or hell so it's not a work for reward or you know avoid punishment sort of thing so so that's what it is for me. But, you know, for you it could be different. But it made me think, if if I don't believe in what comes next, then what am I here for? And it led to all the subsequent, subsequent questions of, why don't people just commit suicide? Like, if if life is, you know, if you believe that there isn't anything you know, special or miraculous about life, then what is it that keeps you around? And I came to some interesting conclusions, which I'm not going to share with you. Maybe I will later, but I'd like to hear what you have to say. I I, I actually, I already said more than I intended to. So if you're interested in contributing to that, you can uh, just send me an email and, and that's uh, how it'll work. I, I'm very interested to hear what people have to say on this topic because I I was very interested to see what came out of my own head so to find the easy way to contact me or to do anything else involved with the show you can go to bestoftheleftpodcast.com or as I said email direct at hippiesympathizer at gmail.com I'll talk to you guys all tomorrow have a good one everybody
11: grown tired of the
6: right-wing disinformation machine do you wish a program existed that gave you the straight story about washington politics
2: well that program has arrived it's the left-wing nut job podcast a weekly political news magazine designed to keep you informed without wasting your
8: time the
6: left-wing nut job podcast a new voice for progressive
8: politics